It is Ted Lasso season, people. Our favorite time of the year. Right here on Must Watch, we are celebrating what, what Gene, I think is one or both of our favorite shows of 2020 and definitely one of our most anticipated releases of 2021. And we're doing this celebration with two weeks of episodes. That's right, not one, but two weeks dedicated to our new Lord and Savior, Ted Lasso, the mustachioed Marvel, love him. This week, we're going to briefly look at look back at season one, highlight the elements that kind of turned it into a phenomenon, elevated it beyond just another feel-good series. And next week, we're going to talk about season two, given a brief review, our thoughts, what we're hoping to see in the new season, are you ready, Jean? Oh, I'm so ready. And you know who else is ready? Who? Our special guest for these two episodes, which is my friend Ellie Hagen, who Ooh. is uh, a screenwriter and an author and also one of the biggest Ted Lasso super fans I know, which is saying a lot because, um, A, look at us, and B, who doesn't love Ted Lasso? Anyway, <laughs> please welcome Ellie Hagen to the podcast. Hey, Ellie. Ellie, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Of course. So to start off, you know, Gene and I, we have these kind of grand unifying theories when it comes to Ted Lasso, but I want to start with you. What do you think elevates it? Like I mentioned up top, because it is a feel good series, but normally with feel good series, we're always willing to overlook or, or give a pass to simplicity or something that's maybe not great. It's middle of the road, but makes us feel good. But Ted Lasso seems to combine all the elements of an amazing dramedy with that feel good warmth. What do you think is its secret sauce? Okay, so here's here's my like big opinion. Is So my mentors have a saying that a main character on TV has to either be, uh, you have to either respect them or you have to like them. And so much of like, quote unquote, peak TV has relied on characters that you don't like, but you do respect. Like Don Draper, you you know, he's great at his job, but he's a terrible human being. Like Tony Soprano, like Breaking Bad, like all of those um, kind of classic, especially shows where men are the main character have relied on that um, respect and not like. Ted Lasso is the first show I've seen in years that relies exclusively on liking the characters. Um, and I, I think that that's mostly true of Ted, but also of really every character on the show, you're yeah. you're just meant to like them. Um, the respect I mean, I even comes, like Jamie, which is a, you know, yeah. a curveball there. Yeah, the respect comes over time. Um, and I think to me that that boils down to emotional intel intelligence. Like the show is, um, is, you know, none of the conflicts are about these simple misunderstandings or like lies, um, besides the big lie that starts the whole show. But after that, it's, <laughs> you know, it's really just about kind of people um, just interacting with each other on like, and it's all on the level. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that kind of goes with how I feel about the show, which is that it's good people trying their best. <laughs> which I feel like we're so used to watching super outrageous things play out on television. But if like boiled down, I do believe that most of us are just good people trying our best, uh, to, you know, to make it in this, this world. And I feel like that is, it's nice. It's nice to watch people who are just trying to be good and trying to do good things. And I think that the timing of when it premiered last year was really um, fortuitous because it was pretty dark uh, politically and also, you know, 
COVIDly. (laughs) (laughs) There's also, sorry. No, no, go ahead. There's definitely something to be said for watching terrible people be terrible. Like I, I love that too. Like I haven't seen the new Gossip Girl yet, but I'm assuming that that's what that is. And I will watch that wholeheartedly, but there's just something it makes, I think it's what makes Ted very special is that it's not that. Yeah. So I'm interested because you come from a screenwriting background. So you actually know the rules and structures and format of creating characters. Is it okay if I both like and respect Ted? Am I breaking a cardinal rule there? Because I find his warmth and his unrelenting optimism to be aspirational. And so for that, I respect him. I like that he set the tone for the whole organization to be better. Totally. It's just, I guess what I was trying to, what I meant by that is just that he's not a good soccer coach at the beginning. Like, <laughs> this is true. you know, like, uh, that, but, but yeah, you do grow to respect him at his, at, at everything because he's like Jean said, just trying so hard and yeah. he cares. What about you, Brennan? What's your theory, your grand unifying theory of Ted Lasso? <laughs> I think it's actually an amalgamation of, of both of your articulate, eloquent explanations, because to me, I see Ted Lasso as a series that thrives because of the central tenet, which is eager acceptance. And I actually strangely draw a connection between Ted Lasso and Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek because it revolves around the everything is accepted rule. You know, Star Trek represented this utopian imagining of our future where mankind has evolved behind like petty superficial grievances. There's no war. The Federation was diverse and eclectic and they're all dedicated to a similar goal. And Obviously, Ted Lasso is not going to space. It's very much staying on the soccer pitch. But it, too, carries this idea of acceptance in a less direct fashion. You know, like you guys just said, the conflicts conflicts for the series don't come from, like, dividing lines created by society. There's no, you know, racial uh, issues. There's no manufactured soap opera drama with cheating spouses or anything. It, It is this this multinational soccer team that isn't threatened by ethnic opposition, but just good old fashioned, you know, male insecurity, ego, stubbornness, a little bit of fear. The the conflicts subtly derive from these much bigger arcs. And I think you can see that in, in the central, you know, problems, like whether or not the team is going to stay in the premier light premier league, whether or not Ted can maintain his love life, you know, Rebecca's divorce. There's these small and relatable stakes that don't, concern themselves with outmoded ignorance. And, and like you guys said, everyone is worth rooting for. And so I think it creates this kind of harmonious ecosystem of, you know what, no matter what the problems are, we're going to solve them together. And it, it is not resembling real life in that way, but perhaps that's why we want to strive for it and we connect to it. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If you allow me to go galaxy brain ranting on why I love Ted Lasso, I do appreciate it. I was very engrossed. I was very engrossed. Well, I wonder if maybe we should talk about just the show in general and the basic premise. So Ted Lasso was actually a character that was created for a series of ad- advertisements by, right, by, by yeah, Jason Sudeikis. Um, for what wasn't it like promoting the Premier League on American television? Is yeah, that the, and, is that the backstory? NBC had gotten the rights and they wanted a splashy kind of advertising hook. This was like 2010 to 2012, something in that range. And so they created this character, Ted Lasso, who was a little bit more abrasive in those versions. And when we talk about entertainment these days, it's all about 
IP, intellectual property. And we say, we say like comic books and books and, and they're recycling libraries uh, of films and television for 30 years ago. Is there an unlikelier source of quote unquote IP inspiration than a half-hearted commercial no one really remembers from about a decade ago? <laughs> How dare I, you call those commercials half-hearted? <laughs> you're, you're right, I apologize. <laughs> They're entirely full-hearted. They're entirely full-hearted. The premise of Ted Lasso in general, entirely full-hearted, but it's kind of fun. So, you know, soccer in general is not the sport here as it is abroad. And by abroad, I don't just mean the UK. I literally mean probably every other, most other countries. And you can tell that that's the case since we all refer to it as soccer and not football. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Guys, we're Um, Yanks. Apologies for any international (laughs) listeners. I don't apologize. Come on, guys. Although it does make sense to call soccer football more than football football because you do play with your feet. It is a fair argument. It is a fair (laughs) argument. Um, But... But to me, even though it's kind of this, first of all, it's like a weird, who wants to watch a TV show based on a commercial? I I don't, like, I don't think that I would have liked this before I actually watched it, or I would have been intrigued by the people involved, but I would have been like, whatever. And then I think the other thing about Ted Lasso is the same problem that Friday Night Lights had, which is that some people who who are like, I don't really have any interest in watching a show about football um and in this case you know european football <laughs> soccer like if you're not a sports person you think oh maybe this show isn't for me and then guess what it surprise surprise bitch <laughs> i was gonna say ali is that something that, that you find as a writer where it's seemingly on the surface has this one premise someone would say from afar Ted Lasso is a sports show. How do you kind of contort and twist this show to be like, oh no, we're so much more. We're not just a one single thing. How do you think they've done that? I mean, it's character development. Like, I, th- I think that I'm sure that's what they talked about in the pitch. And um, that's, you know, I'm sure that's what, I'm sure they talk way more about what's going to happen to Roy and Keeley in the writer's room than they do um, about who's going to win the soccer game. And then you can, you know, you once you decide what the arcs of your character, what you want the arcs of your characters to be over the season, then you can determine, okay, well, it makes more sense for the team to be winning at this point or for them to be losing or for, you know, for them to tie a million times or whatever, you know, whatever is happening. Yeah, it's funny because like the, the actual game is almost incidental to the rest of the show. Like it's not entirely incidental, but it does matter if they win or lose, but it also doesn't at all. The locker room <laughs> is much more important than the field. Yeah, exactly. So on this show that was created based on a commercial, um, the co-creators are Jason Sudeikis, obviously who plays our hero, Ted Lasso. Uh, Bill He's Lawrence, millennial who, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Bill Lawrence, who I've talked about on this podcast before, as someone that I really admire and I like his humor, and I think that this show very much has has his sense of humor all over it. Especially having watched a bunch of um, Scrubs recently in the past year. Yeah, he did Scrubs and Cougar Town, right? Those are his two Scrubs, biggies. Cougar Town, Spin City. Yes, thank um, you. Are the big ones? Yeah. And Clone High, which is coming back. He's wow. he's like 
he's Loki, one of the one of the biggest, I think. Him and Michael Schur kind of on that that footing of like we've just made iconic shows. Yeah, exactly. And then the other co-creator is Brendan Hunt, who plays Coach Beard on the show, who was also um, involved from the beginning. Right, Allie? Yes. That makes me like it even more <laughs> that he was also in the commercials and now he's Coach Beard. Like that, what? just what a lovely story, even behind the scenes. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, of course, they brought in like actual British people to, <laughs> to help them write this show, too, which is about, um, you know, an American in London uh, who's just trying to <laughs> coach some football and live his life, <laughs> bring so, some joy to the people. One thing I also really like about the show is it's very multicultural. We get a lot of different perspectives that are kind of doled out through very organic character dynamics and moments. Uh, one thing in particular, Ali, you had a great example that you thought maybe was a little bit of a microcosm for the show itself, right? I love that, like, there's a moment in season one, like, mid-season, where um, Ted is handing out his little army men, which is very sweet and kind of symbolic of the way that he's approaching coaching, really. And Sam is very is grateful for the gesture, but then gives him the army man back and says he doesn't share the same fondness for the American military. And Ted is like, oh, right, because of colonialism. And it's, it's A, it's a funny joke. B, it's um, kind, like for him to just immediately recognize, oh, right, this is, this, yeah, this doesn't, this, I understand why you would feel this way and, and doesn't get weird about taking it back. And three, one of the things that I really love about the show is that, despite them playing, um, writing Ted is very folksy, very um, Midwestern. I don't, Midwestern, I guess. I don't know what Kansans describe themselves as, um, but he, they never play that as stupid. And as someone who's from the South, you know, a lot of times it's like Americans with accents is like a very easy punchline. And I really, really love how the show always portrays him as um, educated and um and emotionally intelligent like he's not he's he's not offended by and he's he's up to speed on um being kind to everyone i don't i don't know how to how to say that better yeah i mean he seems like the most intuitive character of all which you're absolutely right i didn't even think about the midwestern southern trap that other characters and other tv shows often fall into that's a great point Yeah, and I think a way that they have been able to introduce some more diversity into the show is via the players, because it's true, these players come from all over the world. They don't just come from the UK. These aren't just like, you know, standard standard issue white um, athletes who are already used to plenty of privileges in the world at large. These are people with really interesting backgrounds from um you know the the players they're from Africa like different countries in Africa they're from France they're from Canada they're from you know all over the UK and you know even though Britain is a small country there's definitely a lot of different um politics at play uh, in the in it and uh they all come together on this team and they're you know expecting this gauche American to come in and like (laughs) Americanize everything and instead they get this man who's like really attuned to cultural differences and open to learning 
about it all. And it's just like, it's just nice. It's just nice. Yeah. Can I talk about my ultimate, I texted you this the other day, Jean, my ultimate theory of what's going to happen like at the end of Ted Lasso. Yes. Yes. I I definitely want to hear this, particularly from the screenwriter, you know, inside baseball (laughs) perspective. Yeah, it's good though because then it, then I'll have a record of me saying this yes. when it happens, no, rather than just my text to Jean the other day, which is that Ty Lasso is going to end up being like Mary Poppins, where he's going to have to go back to America at the end because of his son, like who they like uh, they like are going to keep coming back to is like that's the most important relationship in his life, and it doesn't matter like what happens to him personally in the UK, he will be going back to America at the end, and so like I think he's really kind of turning all of these people's lives around kind of making them face demons or just kind of accept the um, the good things about themselves and doing the same thing for the entire franchise. Um, but like at the end, he's going to leave. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. It seems like a logical kind of emotional conclusion to his journey there. And he, he will have left a, a very unique legacy, we'll say, one of great positivity. I like that. I, w- I would be happy with that ending personally as a fan. Yeah. yeah. But before then, hijinks will ensue. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, football is life, according to Danny <laughs> Rojas. Now, we, we've talked all about how it's feel good, how it's optimistic, how it's emotionally intelligent, how it's understanding and culturally representative. Ali, you think that's actually harder to write than something that's a little bit more sardonic and, and scathing, which maybe might differ from the kind of general observer's opinion. Because I feel like yeah, people do think Ted Lasso is like an easy, easy creation, which it's not. No, I because I think it's way easier to, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure like all television is hard to write. I, I only did one season of it and then I switched to movies because it's not for me. But, um, <laughs> but I think it is easy to rely on tropes and kind of um, to think, okay, how do we create drama? Let's... Um, you know, like uh, you had a great example about like that, um, that in any other show, like Keely telling Roy that she had slept with Jamie, that would be six episodes of back and forth between them where, you know, but on this show, it's, it's one episode and it's resolved. Um, that is much harder because you have to come up with a lot more plot or a really less plot like you did you to deal with the emotional ramifications of it rather than just creating like tension points I guess right and I think as a result of of all of that by embracing this river of acceptance Apple has kind of stumbled into their new flagship series in Ted Lasso which I think is funny because before they launched, Apple TV Plus won a heated bidding war for the morning show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, and they they won it with a two-season, 20-episode, straight-to-series order, and that cost them a reported $300 million. And while I, I liked it more than I didn't, I, I think it's fair to say it was met generally within the industry by lukewarm reviews. Meanwhile, Ted Lasso, which nobody saw coming, earned an early second season renewal with additional episodes and its breakout first season also garnered a third season renewal before season two even went into production. So it has become their kind of programming anchor while also attracting celebrity tastemakers and a lot of high profile online support. And I just think it's so interesting to see this underdog, just much like AC Richmond, transform into this kind of powerhouse television show with all this support coming from a not a you know drama like you said like a 
Mad Men, Breaking Bad, or Sopranos, but coming from a place of true warmth and acceptance. Um, the metaphor, metaphorical soapbox. It's like, yes, you, but also you're preaching to the choir here. Like, we're all, <laughs> we, we are, are all converts. super fans. And we're like, mm-hmm, yep, it's great. It's the best. I love it. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, okay, it's hard to talk about comedy. It's hard to deconstruct comedy in a fun way because once you start deconstructing jokes, they become less funny. <laughs> and sometimes thinking about things in an intellectual way kind of takes away the, the magic of it. But uh, I don't, I think it's fun to talk about Ted Lasso just because of the way it kind of took over and people slow, it was like a wave, right? Of people who watched it. And then they were like, oh shit, you've got to check this out. And then more people were like, okay, fine, I'll watch it. And then other people were like, oh my God, the hype, Ugh, it's not going to be as good. And then they were like, oh, actually it is. And then um, all of our still depressed at home asses just watched it again. Cause what else was there to do? Like it's, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. And this is all an intro to talk about um, your favorite jokes from season one. I just- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh yeah, before we, we tie a bow on this this conversation, I want to know everyone's favorite season one character and everyone's favorite yeah. season one joke. We're going to end on a nice note. Yeah, listen, I know Allie's character, um, but go ahead and tell us. Tell us, Allie Hagen. Look, it's Roy Kent, and like, I, I, I don't want to say anymore. <laughs> I think you should. I don't know if I can. By all means, go um, for it. We are uncensored. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Just let it out. I mean, that way, I just mean, uh, no, I just think he's the most handsome man who's ever been on television. Uh, And I I love him very much. Uh, Listen, that is as good of a reason as any. You know, people say, you know, Walter White is a complex Mr. Chips to Scarface character journey. Why can't someone just be like, hey, I like the way they look. That's why they're my favorite. It's more than that. But like, I know, I know. He's so so charming and, and so beautiful. Um, I, I don't want to blow up your spot, Allie, but like Allie has texted me <laughs> that he has ruined all real men for her. It's, true. it's also funny because like I watched it the first time, like right before Christmas. And so every the whole entire internet was like the Duke, the Duke from Richardson. And I was like, uh, we're again, guys. Like y'all are <laughs> like you're missing the uh like yeah. the, the true uh that sexy curmudgeon. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the best little mini theme song, you know? He's there. He's there. He's every fucking way. Roy Kent. Excuse the terrible British accent. No, I love it. Brendan, do it again. (laughs) All right, Jean, who who is your favorite character before we get to Joe? I mean, I love that sexy curmudgeon, Roy Kent, as well. Um, But I think maybe, I don't know. I think it's really hard to pick a character that is my favorite because because of the charm of the show and all of the reasons that we have outlined over and over and over during this discussion, because ultimately I'm rooting for everybody. (laughs) Um, But I think maybe Keely. Um, I really like Keely because she is someone who I'm sure has been not taken seriously in her life. And the thing about Ted Lasso is that she's taken seriously immediately he takes her seriously immediately and um and Rebecca as well she's like okay yeah like this this woman is smart she's savvy she knows what she's doing and um and I really really love that they were just like 
oh yeah, we trust you. You're good at your job. Um, here, here's, here's a new role and get going. And they just let her go, um, doing what she does best, which is like all of the marketing and, and all of these skills that are traditionally undervalued because they're things that maybe women are better at, um, or just things that have been traditionally coded, you know, female or, or women's, <laughs> women's type of jobs. And, um, and I just really, really love that. And, and that's not, that's even like not even getting into the, the romantic part and how she is in this relationship with this like doofus and, uh, <laughs> and kind of, as she's taken seriously by these other people realizes that she kind of deserves better than that. And, and that's really nice too, that she's having this professional clarity at the same time that she's having it personally as well. I don't know. I just, I, I love her arc and I think Juno Temple is so funny and so wonderful and yeah. <laughs> I actually have to combine both your answers because it's an even split for me. I love Keely and I love Roy and I love their dynamic together. They help one another essentially find who they really are and become perhaps who they were meant to be and, and kind of become fully realized, actualized, best versions of themselves. And of course, I will always, always, always love a curmudgeon with a heart of gold because Roy Kent is the biggest dickhead in the world who will also be like the best buddy in the foxhole you'll ever have, ever. And Keely is this I think personally, the only one in the show who's actually getting real actual setup punchline jokes that I think it, it, because everyone else is a little bit more dialogue witticism based, particularly Ted, but she is absolutely crushing the humor part of it. So I think the two of them together are, are my favorite. Now, quickly, what are your favorite jokes from season one? So we can do a nice little happy flashback. I didn't pick uh, one. I'm sorry. I'll let you go. I, I have to. You're kicked I have off. To. I have two, so I'll I'll I'll, I'll go. Yeah, take mine. Take mine. Uh, my favorite like one liner is when Ted says, "You beating yourself up is like Woody Allen playing the clarinet." I don't want to hear it, and uh, <laughs> I just love that. And my uh, my favorite like longer joke is when they go to Liverpool and you see Keely on the 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 hotel menu over and over again, yeah. and then at the end she's like she gets up on the table and she reads it again, and she and then they go for karaoke because that's what she keeps recommending in the screen i explained that joke terribly which is exactly what you said would happen that once you start talking about jokes they're not funny anymore but it's a great callback joke yeah Mm -hmm. i'm also going with keely as well i just love when her and roy are truly approaching that moment of romance where he is asking her out and she just fucks with him in the most adorable way possible, pretending she's the press. And she's like, Killy Jones, the independent woman. Killy Jones, the independent woman online. Killy Jones, the independent woman magazine. Killy Jones, independent woman Sunday inset. First of all, deep cut uh, joke for all press and media. So me and Jean, you know, of course, I think we respond to that. Second of all, she is just so undeniably bubbly and charming that like I fell in love with her. So I, I just think she is doing such a great job on this show. Yeah. And also I feel like we can't end this episode without talking about, I think we mentioned Jason Sudeikis. He's great. He's wonderful. He is perfect in the role. Um, He's very funny and like, I love it. Nothing, nothing new there though. Um, And also um, Hannah Waddingham who plays Rebecca, who is fantastic. And I think people, the only thing I really saw online was like the slow realization that she was the shame nun on Game of Thrones. That was pretty good. Um, that people were were really excited about that. It's kind of like a fun 
Easter egg for a TV fan, but just in general, she's incredible. She's so glamorous and beautiful. I like fully buy that. I think that's why everyone's so surprised to find out that she played that weird, that like random role, (laughs) um, has a fantastic singing voice. Uh, she, she's, and she's funny too in a in a different way because it's harder to have to play the straight man which she does have to um a lot of the time and and she's fantastic at it too absolutely all right well that is it for us this week stay tuned next week we'll where Gene wrote this, we will only briefly objectify Brett Goldstein, a.k.a. Roy Kent, as we discuss season two of Ted Lasso. Thank you for making me say that part. I appreciate that. Uh, In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you follow us. And Allie, please let everybody listening at home know where they can follow you, where they can find your work, all that good stuff. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at at Allie Hagan. Uh, and you can find my work hopefully someday <laughs> in the movies people, there I will be news take- to share theaters and streaming you're going to see your name popping up everywhere <laughs> it takes an extremely long time to make movies so. <laughs> yeah that is that is a lesson that I think you have learned <laughs> well, thank you for joining us we hope you'll tune in to our discussion about season 2 next week alright until next episode everybody bye